George. What are we doing here? What are we doing here? It's Red Fence! Red Fence. Do your homework! Good morning, Acton. Good morning, George. Why are we here all of a sudden on this morning? <laughs> we are here. Uh, we are here because the Barbie movie happened and we had to watch it. We had to get in on this. That's right. Everyone's getting in on it. Everyone's getting in on it. And we've done our homework. This time we've gone to the movies instead of reading a book. And we went to the movies. <laughs> it was fun. It was great. <laughs> yeah. It packed theater. Lots of laughter. It was good. It was awesome. <laughs> so yeah. we're going to give our hot, radical, well-informed takes. <laughs> but first, did you play with Barbies? I did play with Barbies. Probably like... 1988 to 1993-ish. I've been on the late 80s, early 90s Barbies. I have friends from church come over for sleepovers, and we play Barbies and Horses. Because I was, like, that girl who had horse posters all over her walls, you know, and watched the Black Stallion 20 times and took riding lessons, like, the whole thing. So most of my Barbie play was really about Barbie going to the stables rather than living in her dream house or dating Ken, which is totally a reflection of what I was interested in. I wasn't boy crazy. I was horse crazy. And in fact, you know, Barbie was more of an accessory to the horses. <laughs> like the horses were really the point. They never released like a horse version, did they? I think they did. Really? But, um, yeah. But they they were too like fake looking for me. I wanted oh, more okay. realistic looking oh, okay. horses. So yeah. Did she ride a horse with her legs dangling? I don't know. Maybe the That's later a... ones can move. I must, have, I must have done it side saddle. It's funny, I can't Ooh. really remember now. Because <laughs> you're right, your legs, can't really, <laughs> her legs can't really open right for that. Yeah, that's funny. But it's funny that like I was into Barbies and horses because it's it's quite hilarious in light of how important horses are to Ken in the movie. Okay, <laughs> you know, yeah. so I'm like already bringing no, them together. It's, it's tremendous. <laughs> it's great. But yes, I, I loved the clothes. I loved the Barbies outfits. I loved styling her hair and like building her houses out of blocks and stuff like that. Like, I don't remember ever feeling like I was ugly compared to Barbie. I didn't play with her in that kind of way. I just, I wasn't thinking of her like that. But I, I also had, like, a very loving, body-affirming childhood. I had a good relationship with my mom. I liked sports. I was active. I was happy. I didn't... You like sports? Yeah. I was kind of, I was a bit of a tomboy. I, I was, I liked to run. I was fast. Um, you know, yeah, and I did horseback riding. I did a little bit of gymnastics. I was, like, an out, outdoorsy, run-around kind of kid. I played... I grew up with my brother. We would do, like, kickball and football and basketball, like, in the backyard with oh, other kids. Like, I'd do tackle football with the boys when I was, you know, little enough right, that, right, that, right. that they wouldn't kill me. <laughs> but I loved that. I wrestled with my dad. Like, I was I was very active. And so I was very comfortable in my body. I knew what my body was for. Like, right, I didn't see right. myself as something to be looked at. I was like, I got stuff to do. <laughs> you know? Like, that's what my body's for. So, and so maybe that was sort of protecting me from using Barbie Certainly. in a way in which she becomes a judge, right? So I just never, you know, <clears throat> like I never bought into this Barbie mythos that she's like your future self. Mm. And, and, I, and I always associated womanhood with motherhood, oh, and right. Barbie's okay. not mothering. She so, is not. She's so, an Right. So, like, I, so I always had fun with Barbie, but I emerged kind of unscathed from what a lot of the later critiques of her were. And, like, and I would agree with those very common critiques which the movie definitely plays with but I never even though I played with her I never felt the the harms that Barbie could cause 
so. Right, and ironically, Barbie was sort of the, proposed as the sort of, you know, the reverse of what children had mostly played with before, which was baby dolls. Right. It was the first doll that imagined them as not a mother. Right. Right, um, which is interesting. Which yeah. is interesting, and, I, and there's obviously a role for that, but, you know, <laughs> trade-offs, I guess, you know, yep. no solutions. Yeah. I had Barbies, and I had they had some nice clothes. Mm-hmm. I remember my mother being sad when I, like, gave them away to, like, a younger neighbor. Oh, yeah. Because I think my mother thought that someday they'd be, like, collector's items, and I'm like, they're not in the box, Mom, don't worry about them. <laughs> I, so I, I didn't really, like, have an attachment. Like, I have some toys from my childhood that I did save, but Barbies are not among them. Yeah. Like, they're just dolls. Yeah. I like them, but I didn't think too hard about it. Yeah. I, too, didn't really see her as, like, a model of femininity. Mm-hmm. I mean, it's it's... Like, when you grow up, when you see real women, you know that Barbie's not right. a model it's of a real just woman. It's just, it's just a toy. It's mm-hmm. just a... Barbie was already kind of, like, ironically representing a pa- the past yes. ideal of... My- like, we understood that it was a outdated stereotype. Uh-huh. And we played with her because the, cl- the clues... The cl- the, the cl- <laughs> <laughs> it's too early! <laughs> we played with her because the clothes were cool. Yes. I really admired the outfits for the sheer pleasure of all their tininess, all the like little all the little tiny little shoes, yeah. the tiny little accessories. Yes. I mean, that element of it is like Legos. Yes. And I like Legos <laughs> a lot, much more than I like Barbie. Uh-huh. I mean, I think I played more imaginatively with My Little Pony than I did with Barbie. Oh, I loved My Little Pony. Yeah. Well, and there it is. It's the horses. <laughs> oh, yeah. And I wasn't even a it's horse Barbie girl. as a horse. It's Barbie as a horse. Yes. Oh my god, yeah, okay. Sorry, oh, PhD I have so topic. many ponies. <laughs> oh, that's great. Maybe that's what Ken needed. Was he needed, he needed a little pony. Oh yeah, like a brony. There's a like brony. A whole, there's a whole a subculture. <gasps> and that's okay, a far scary. right thing. Kind of. Oh, like, yeah. I, I was thinking that it's like incel adjacent. But, yes, which okay. maybe that's what Greta Gerwig's trying to say. Oh. I hadn't thought about that. Oh my that. god, I hadn't either, but she would know. She would know. She's over that period. Okay. Wow. So, in hindsight, I really actually think that the magic of Barbie is that her all her clothes fit her. <laughs> My mother is always saying that the reason that women always look so good at their wedding is because the only garment in their entire life that they wear that's tailored to them. Oh, that's right. And I, that, of course, didn't used to be true. Otherwise, you never do that. You don't, like, Well, I mean, not anymore. I mean, and now it's just like a pain. You have to go, you have to buy your, like, prêt-à-porter. This is, like, actually a legitimate moment in fashion. Like, prêt-à-porter means ready to wear, as in it doesn't have to be tailored for you. And that's, like, a fashion revolution in consumerism because you can buy clothes faster. Right. If they're not tailored to you. you have to, right. There's no waiting time, right? That's right. But really, it dooms now in this age of, like, it's gone accelerated fast fashion. All the clothes are made out of fabrics that have no shape. And it's really That's hard for a lot of women, including me, I might say, to find mm-hmm. clothes that they really like and feel good in. Like, yeah. clothes shopping to me, I dread. Yeah. Not because I don't like wearing clothes or buying new clothes, but because it's just, like, it's hopeless. Because you're just, yeah. you're stuck with whatever they're offering you're you. You're always compromising. You're like, this is kind of, I guess, 80% okay. Yeah, it's like, 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 do you ever have that 100% perfect Reason of advice, wear, looks good, wears well, pick two. Yeah, <laughs> that's perfect that's perfect well it's based that's on right. a similar thing in computer science yeah yeah you don't get it all you never get it all you have to yeah. and I don't I think Barbie epitomizes this magical world where all your clothes are actually yours that's and of course right. it's easy because Barbies are like made by yes. machine they're all the same <laughs> and it's right. a doll and so that's why you can have clothes that fit you but 
You know, we used to actually live in a world where women's clothes were made by women in this exact way, where right. all your clothes would be yours. They were and I, in my like, bespoke. yes, and in my like, I think we could radically improve women's lives if all of their clothes were tailored for them. Like, <laughs> yeah. you know, it's on my list of philanthropic yeah. causes to fund if I ever get the opportunity. Because I, I think that Barbie isn't about having a stereotypical body. It's about the joy of personalization. Yeah. Of a wardrobe where you look yeah. and you feel great. So, I mean, when I think about Barbie, I think about the clothes. I don't think about the doll. That's fascinating. I think about that world where somebody took the time and the care and you have that yeah. web of relationships. Yes. Where your clothes are made for you. Mm-hmm. Well, there's like a meaningful kind of sisterhood, right? Like, exactly. Like women with skill knowing how yeah. to make clothes. My, I have a, a cousin who's like a seamstress, like who does like my grandmother's sister was a type of seamstress that made the um, samples. Oh. So you have to be perfect uh-huh. because it's all done by, most of it is done by hand because you're only yeah. making like one. Yes. Yeah. Yeah. That's, that is that was, real legit skill. No, she was like <laughs> incredibly talented. She could, she made, she would make my grandmother dresses off movies. Oh, that's amazing. Yeah. yeah. She could just sight, see it in see her it and eye know and what pattern. to do. That's yeah. incredible. Yeah. 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 So, uh, did you ever make kits for your clothes when they were little? I did. <laughs> that's how you make kits for your clothes. I mean, oops. <laughs> it's too fucking early. Did you manufacture your children to fit the clothes that were already marketed? <laughs> I never made Maybe clothes that's why for baby clothes are so great because they fit most that's babies because right. babies are like, they're, except yeah. for the scale, they're all right. Right. proportioned the same. I never, I, like, I could, I learned, I relearned how to sew, like, every four years. And I was like, <laughs> I should do this. I'd be like, pain. I made some drapes. I hated doing this. And then, like, I put the machine away and, like, forget how to do it. And they're like, oh, I should probably make some, you know, and then every few years I pull it out and re- watch YouTube videos and relearn how to Does sew. Does your mother make clothes so for you? She, I have, like, she did a couple of times. I, I remember, like, a little jumper she made me in first grade. But interestingly, it's actually my husband got in the habit years ago of make of every Easter making an Easter dress for our daughter. Oh, and interesting. They would go pick out the fabric together, Joanne's fabric. Does he, and, is he a better sewer than you? Yeah, because it, there's it's like technical, it's precise. That's the thing. I'm oh, not, it's so the, yeah, the he can do anything that, that do, involves engineering like that. Yeah, oh yeah, oh yeah. Oh, he's engineering. He's and he's very good. He's very good at that. But that was sort of like a father daughter thing. Like, That's he cute. So yeah, we still have the little dresses that he made, and one of them was from My Little Pony fabric. <laughs> she Hell picked out yeah. a lot of My Little Pony. Hell dress. yeah! So yeah. cute. Because, I mean, I think it really was it was incredibly normal to make your children's clothes. Yeah. I know. It was a way to save money, which is right. actually not true anymore. Right. right. Not fact, anymore. I joke that the best way to, um, if you ever want to make your own clothes, the best thing to do is go buy cheap clothes that are oversized and then make your own clothes out of them. Oh, that's fascinating. Because it's yeah. literally cheaper yeah. to buy the clo- piece of right. clothing than it is to buy right. the fabric. Because yeah. of the... Yeah, my husband's mom would make a lot of her own clothes. Like she knew how to do that, and and I'm and she would always sew all of his like Halloween costumes mm-hmm. and stuff. Like that was such a thing. I think of that now. I'm like, wow, that's to to sew stuff for yourself would now be the, a mark of rather than like oh that's thrifty or saving money. Now it would be like niche. oh it's very niche. It's very bougie. Yeah, it's totally it's totally saying something <laughs> opposite than it used to mean. Yes, really but it really used to be common. I mean, I remember making some clothes for Barbie. You did? Yeah. Oh. Yeah, like stupid clothes, like bad clothes. Because <laughs> I mean, it's really hard to sew with that, that scale. Small, I mean, that's, yeah. you have to be quite proficient. In that way. Right. Like, proficient, like, I could probably manage like a vest, <laughs> holes for arms, and you know, anything right. beyond that. I don't 
Right. I could have done it. But, yeah. I really think it's about... It's a great point. It's about, about like, feeling comfortable with your body. I don't know. That's just my take. I love it. All right. Um, did you like the movie? You go first. Okay. okay. <laughs> so, it's a good film. Although, yeah. like, a lot of the film, I was sitting there kind of squirming and kind of mad at all the cringy bad feminism. Yes. Yeah. Yeah. And I was like, oh, this movie is... It's, it's destroying people's minds. Like, I mean, calm down, George. <laughs> Until I realized that the movie itself was undermining it. It yes. was doing it, like, it was it was cleverly, cleverly, but not really that subtly. Yes. You know, naming and shaming. So, and I like the music, too. Mm-hmm. mm-hmm. I, I'm glad we went, and I'm, I'm really glad we're talking about it, because I feel yeah. like our take is awesome. Yes, I agree. There's some awesome takes. <laughs> I, I enjoyed the movie most of the time, though... I was, like, continually conscious of the fact that I was watching a movie. Like, it's, the movie is so self-aware. It's right. so meta-modern. It's, it's not a take your, not, it's not a lose yourself in the moment. You can't. And I always, <laughs> I, I like to watch movies where I, I just totally lose myself in it. And, like, and I'm totally, completely empathizing and transported into it. And, like, the movie wouldn't let me do that. Well, because it's, it's about just dolls. self-aware. Right. Right. <laughs> and so, like, so that, that was hard yeah, I, I, I didn't care for that aspect of it. But, like, I mostly just love the character of Barbie herself. Like, if I forget all the other parts of the movie, we just think Barbie and her trajectory and her transformation. Like, I loved her. I thought she was delightful. And I, I, a lot of the subplots were lame. They were nonsensical. But the sets were eye candy. They were they were glorious. Having grown up playing with Barbies. And sure. like, oh, my gosh, the camper set. You know? Yeah, <laughs> like, it was that. Visually, it was... it's really fun. It really very nostalgic, and that's what they're, they're marketing to us. Right? They're, mar- they're marketing yes, to us. They're marketing to the women. <laughs> yeah, for sure. Um, and the Barbies and the cans were so playful. I, it, it was very fun. Like it's possible to watch it just on like oh the fun level. And Ryan Gosling is like he's born to play that role. <laughs> yes, he was. It's, yeah, he, he was perfect. great. He was hilarious. And and I, I do want to add like before we dig further into it, this podcast is going to be full of spoilers. So, and, and we're not going to describe the plot of the movie to you. So if you haven't you seen it watch, yet... You need to do your homework. Do your homework. Red Fence. Right. Do your homework. Go to the movie. Go to the movie. <laughs> what are you just going to... Okay, like two people who haven't seen the movie are going to listen to this. Everyone else who's listening has seen the movie. Well, I, I'm the queen of caveats, so I have to... Oh, okay. okay. <laughs> I have to do it. So we're just going to jump right in and, and critique it. So you're, you're duly warned. All right. Because this is Red Friends, we read other people. Mm-hmm. So we're, I'm going to read you. This um, Twitter reaction is by someone at the Neon Requiem. His name is Rudy. I got this through the Weekly Dish. Huh. Yeah. yeah. Andrew Sullivan in mentioned it in his, in his weekly email. Mm-hmm. So th- we're going to start with this, this Twitter take, which I appreciate it. Mm-hmm. Someone's reaction to the Barbie movie is the perfect indicator of who is truly an independent thinker who is indoctrinated into an ideology when it comes to how we portray both sexes in popular culture in 2023. This may shock some, but Barbie is not the far-left woke propaganda fest so many American conservatives claim it is. Neither is it the opposite. It's actually very South Park-esque in its approach. It takes the piss out of all extremist viewpoints on both sides. It's what woke people would describe as transphobic, yet one of the Barbies is trans. It's what misogynists would describe as misandrist, yet showcases misandry as being just as real as misogyny. It's what classic feminists describe as anti-motherhood while defending the fact that it's okay to want to be a mother despite what the fems would have you believe. Essentially, it's telling you that patriarchy doesn't work and that the answer isn't matriarchy either. Mm -hmm. It's telling you that liberal feminism doesn't work because actual feminism is about equality, not supremacy. 
it's telling you that the real world isn't as black and white as males rule everything or males ought to rule nothing. Mm-hmm. It's centrist and smart, and everyone who hates it for, suppos- for supposedly being woke or loves it for supposedly being woke <laughs> isn't centrist enough nor smart enough to understand it, and that's the point. <laughs> I love it. <laughs> that's someone who's obviously paying the monthly fee to write a very long tweet. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. But, I mean... I agree that this movie is, in many senses, using, I wouldn't say South Park-esque, but I would say, like, using a woke grammar, a consciously woke grammar, Mm -hmm. but to actually come kind of straight out and say that woke feminism is, at best, tired and old, and at worst, pretty dangerous. I could actually do a reading of this film where, as this tweet just mentioned, where, you know, we have a cross-sex-identified man playing a Barbie, Dr. Barbie, that's... Mm -hmm. Is that intentional? <laughs> and where it goes without remark, although you can easily mark him by his voice if, yeah. you, if you know about this, right? So I could do a reading of this film as a takedown of transhumanism and how, to the extent that feminism has been seen to endorse it, is courting disaster. But, I mean, as tempting as that is, I don't think that's really the... the I think that's a minor point in yeah. this film. The major point is about women and about the difference between being a doll and being an adult human female. And that is very specific. Yes. All those things. Adult, <laughs> human, female. Yes. Like, it literally is, All like, <laughs> super important. I mean, the best adult joke about Barbie is that the dolls have no sex organs. <laughs> yes. <laughs> and I mean, like, and every girl grew up, got, like, the, the phase before you stopped playing with your dolls was always the phase where you mm-hmm. made them fuck. Mm-hmm. I mean, that's, that's every, every... We called it humping, the Barbies humping, were humping. yes. Well, I'm, <laughs> I'm being extra explicit, because this is about fans. But yes, you make your Barbies hump. We definitely did not use the F word as 12-year-olds. <laughs> we wouldn't have used this language then, but now we are just, we are of the age that went through this trajectory, right? Now we could describe Barbie and Ken as gender nullified. Right. They have no visible external genitals. They only have the region of the body, apparently undamaged, where the genitals are intended to be. So this mo- this movie takes that joke seriously because nullif- gender nullification is this horrible thing that people who are like non-binary or whatever yeah, or abomination or mm-hmm. can give a surgery to make themselves look basically like a doll. Yeah. And this movie is taking that that horror or that joke seriously, right? Mm-hmm. It draws explicit attention to it. I mean, one of the best mo- moments in the film yeah. is that when Barbie is getting sexually harassed by construction, construction workers. workers, so complete. Like, utter, stereotypical feminist complaint, right? Right. Barbie tells these human men, totally matter-of-factly, that she doesn't have a vagina and Ken doesn't have a penis. (laughs) I love the look on his face when she said that loud. And it's like, it's like they're they're doing it to say, like, you can't sexually harass me because I don't have genitals. Right. (laughs) And so this film is too new that the writers and directors could think that this line wouldn't be heard in the context of the trans thing. Right. They knew that people like, turfy, turfy women like us are going to go see it and hear that. Yes. So they know that it will be impossible to hear that line, to hear that line and not think to yourself, oh shit, removing genitals is now considered a sign of special magical social status. And then mm-hmm. reflect on that as like gross and weird, like totally, utterly world turned upside down it is to normalize that. Right. So in that large sense, the movie is a giant middle finger to transhumanism. Yeah. But how it is so much better to have sexual desire, sexual function, than it is to have the opposite. Mm-hmm. Conservatives and classical liberals are now united that normal sex is good! Woo-hoo! Woo-hoo! <laughs> I mean, this is like some sort of promised land coalition 
that you know in the 1980s with the moral majority and yeah. the, we would have been like we some people would have just like given their right arm to to have this coalition right of coalition of good sex right and now but both parties are so captured that they can't even capitalize on it it's so sad but anyway i digress yeah so as i started to say i think the brilliance of this movie is that it doesn't let you forget for one minute the difference between between a human and a doll yeah that scene where Barbara declares she is a doll and Ken is too is so spot on because it's a super deadpan way of declaring that sex is not an idea. Mm-hmm. Of course, children who play with dolls don't know this. They are children. They don't, or at least they shouldn't, have an understanding about why bodies matter. That is something, I mean, in a sexual way. Yeah. That is something that comes with sexual awakening. It cannot be explained to children before that point. Right. I mean, even when a child asks where do babies come from, they don't get it. They don't, right. You can explain what sex is, but you can't explain why people want to do that to one another. Right. That doesn't make any it sense. It makes no sense until the feelings have Exactly. Yeah. So gender identity, though, is teaching children and teenagers that sex really is an idea. I mean, that's what Judith Butler essentially said. Right. She said, sex is not real, it's an idea. Right. When, of course, it isn't an idea. It's not just an idea. It's, a, it's reality. It's turning humans into dolls, saying that if you change the hair, the clothes, or the chest, that you change something on the inside. And you can absolutely make a grow-up doll, right? That I've never seen, never heard of. But they show it in the film. Yeah. The skipper that the, the boobs. Yeah, the Barbie that, like, I guess it's some sort of, like, air thing where the breasts grow and yeah. the hips expand, maybe. But, like, and that's priceless. But it's only a visual synecdoche for the far more complicated internal and invisible changes that take a girl into womanhood. Right. And when we add, when we change bodies to... To make them mimic the the outward, the sort of se- secondary sex characteristics, we're doing a doll thing. That's right. We're fucking up the inside to, for just right. the synecdoche on the outside. That's right. To gain the appearance when the reality, the internal reality, is not exactly. So in this context, the inclusion of a cross sex fantasist male in Barbie Land is so on the nose as to be actually based. Because <laughs> in Barbie Land, the dolls are sex stereotypes That's right. in that they are depictions of sex without sex. Exactly. There is no meaning to being male or female because no one has genitals. That's right. And pregnant Barbie is like not the ex- she's not an exception. I love how the film immediately pointed out <laughs> that a pregnant doll was too weird. Yes. Uncanny, which literally in the German means unhomely. Oh, interesting. Oh. Sorry, graduate. I have to go like all graduate school on you right now because this movie is just like yeah, it's like my inner graduate student. It's terrible. <laughs> So the doll was discontinued because it's too weird, right? Mm-hmm. And so she's not an exception. There's still no sex, right? Because she's right. the synecdoche of pregnancy, right? Uh-huh. No one got her pregnant, and she's never having the baby. Right. No she's sex. Perpetual right? <laughs> gestation. Right. It doesn't make sense. So against this, that's the sort of setup, right? The hero's journey of the film around Barbie revolves entirely around motherhood. Yeah. Barbie becomes human by getting an actual female reproductive system, and by taking on a name that reflects her having come from a human, yeah. suitably, in this case, her mother. I love it. But of course, you know, Ruth Handler got her name from her father, so it's not like there's no fathers, right? Mm-hmm. I mean, they're there. Mm-hmm. She becomes the daughter, Barbara Handler, literally, because she, Ruth, the ghost of Ruth Handler explains that yes. she named Barbie after her own daughter. So right. now, Barbie. Barbie is becoming the human daughter, right? She becomes the daughter with the capacity for motherhood. That's implicit. Yes. This is so entirely what Barbie was not. Mm-hmm. Because Barbie was a tool for girls to imagine womanhood before they could really understand what womanhood felt like. That's right. 
Barbies. Because even the humping, you don't really. You're not. Your Barbies aren't humping when you're when like you really sexually awakened. You've. That's. No. Once once you put away childish things. That's right. You put the Barbies away. (laughs) Yes, you get it. Yeah, you're exactly right. Sex is not an idea. Gender identity turns sex into an idea that is as fluid and bespoke as changing outfits. And that's the way they sell the surgery. Top surgery sounds like I'm going to change my, I'm going to get a clothing, I'm going to alter my body in the way that you can successfully alter clothes. Right. As if, as if that's how surgery works. You're wearing a meat, you heard the phrase meat suit? Yes. Right. It's like you're sewing your meat suit bespoke to, to cover the inner gender identity or something like yeah, it's the skin as clothing. That's so. Oh. It's literally sewn. It's stitched. Yeah, yeah. Ah, yeah. So, and you're right. The Barbie and Ken are stereotypes precisely because they have no genitals. They have no hormones. They have no internal <laughs> juiciness. Right. Like they have no capacity to to reproduce and form families. And this is why it makes sense that Barbie and Ken don't end up together because he has no penis and she has a vagina. So she needs a real man. <laughs> That's why she leaves. And I I love the point. You make that Barbie gains a name, gains a history, gains a mother, and joins this stream of potential mothers by getting reproductive anatomy, right? And this also means that she'll join a world where women can be objectified and experience sexual violence, right? Like her skin. Or maybe not sexual violence. Like, there's no sexual violence in the film, but there's, like, implied threat threat of sexual Mm -hmm. violence. Like, she understands that men objectify her. Right. And will. And there's nothing she can do about it. That's right. And she, it's just fascinating. Like, she feels it instantly. Although she does have that thing about, like, that moment where she's like, maybe we should get different clothes. Yes. Which is kind of That's That's a little trad, too. Yeah. <laughs> to be like, maybe I should dress differently. Because <laughs> she's totally got, like, that. Although like, they were teasing her because it was the 80s thing. throwback. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It's like the, that the was a joke aerobics clothes the period. On. That was yeah. a joke for us because we, yes. know, we knew that period. Right, right. But even so, Barbie still thinks it's worth it to make this transition, uh, transition <laughs> into into this fleshly world where there is threat, right? So mortal womanhood and motherhood and getting old are worth it to her despite the suffering and the limitations, right? So she's deciding to grow up, which is also growing old, right? It's brave and it's good. And so Barbie moves beyond bullshit feminism where careerism is just marketed to girls as a product as dreams that you can buy like she she is done and i i love it i love it and it, you know, it struck me that barbie came out in 1959 like right before the pill hit the market in 1960 right before the feminine mystique was published in 1962 mm-hmm. right so barbie ends up riding the waves of feminism as it grew in the 60s and 70s so she was created before second wave feminism but she was of course adapted to it and co-opted by it Absolutely. to become something different right and so Barbie became a part of this self-actualization trend, right? Like Barbie, like playing with Barbie is playing with your aspirational future self, which is unlike playing with a baby doll in which the toy is another person who needs your care, right? So with baby dolls, you practice relationship and care of another. With Barbie dolls, you practice like self-care and preening and personal success. Like it's a totally different thing. They're both dolls, but the role the doll assigns you by the fact of what it is, it's just totally different. So. The toy tells you how to play with it. So the move from baby doll to Barbie doll is the move from nurturing to accessorizing. Yeah, and from relationships of care to consumerist. Yeah, consumerism and career. Yeah. So do you remember that, that creepy drawing you showed me of the girl with 
breasts and genitals like sliced out like these rectangular slabs of flesh that are now like lying on the ground. How could feet. I possibly forget? <laughs> it's very Salvador Dali-esque. We'll have to put it in the show we notes. We can put it in the show notes. Um, it's this picture of removing markers of sex to avoid the troubles associated with sexual maturation, right? It's a picture of female transition. It's it's not becoming a man. It's unbecoming a woman. It's unwoman. It's desexing. Desexing, exactly. And the Barbie movie is the reverse of this theme. Like she starts out as a neutered plastic, non-sexed feminine stereotype that is purely surfacey, and by the end she gains real functioning breasts, uterus, vagina, like all the parts. Mm-hmm. So what young girls in our culture are fleeing from, Barbie consciously chooses to step into with tears, mm-hmm. a lot of tears, with no illusions, and with an acceptance of her own mortality. That is real feminism. It's not Sing a flight. It. It's not a flight from being female, and you know, and it's not being. What do you call it the other day? Like. Hello Kitty Girl Boss. <laughs> like the career Barbies. It's not that. It's a brave yes to real life that is sexed all the way down. So, yeah, I that's mean. That's why I love her trajectory. It's just, it's, I was thinking that we'd have to, we'd end up just like complaining about the film, but I was just like so pleasantly surprised. It just fits really into our, yeah. what, what we talk about all the time on yeah. this pod. I mean. It's really based. It's reality-based feminism. It honors the female embodied experience, although it has to pretend yes. to be following the same old tired third-wave sex-positive liberated night girl night feminism. Mm-hmm. So it has it pays the lip serve lip service it requires, but the tongue is so far in the cheek <laughs> it's impossible to miss. But pe- some people are missing it. Well, I, mean, I guess you see. What you, I mean, at least it was a pink whistle to me. Yeah. Maybe I'm engaging in the same kind of like rose-colored. <laughs> you know, I don't know. But I feel like we can bring some receipts. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Um, um, so I think Barbie is the steel man case for transhumanism. You know, like straw man versus steel man, where you make the yes. best case best for the case. opponent, right? She's beautiful and healthy, but she's plastic, sexless, fake. Mm-hmm. She isn't used to liquid inside her, yeah. and so there's nothing <laughs> juicy about her. Those are the choices. You can't have sexual relationships or reproduction if you de-sex yourself. And I mean, I have to confess, I've listened to so many fucking videos about people who get these surgeries and have all the problems, and like, yep. that's the problem. The problem is that, like, you've changed your body, but now your body's broken. Right. There are no solutions. You have to accept the trade-off. Yep. You can feel and fuck and make children, but you can only do so if you accept that the world is dangerous, some men are bad, your body will fail you, your children may disappoint or disown you, and then you will die. Yep. <laughs> <laughs> there it is. Spoken like someone who has no kids. But if you are lucky, you will grow old around people you love and your children you love who love you, and younger people will see past your wrinkles and see your beauty, which is really virtue. Yes. This film obviously cannot talk about virtue because that's another woke shibboleth. Thou shalt not, you know, say that choices matter. Right. (laughs) But it slips in the reference via the matriarch as beautiful. I loved it. And Barbie says it. She's like, you're so beautiful. Right. And the old lady's like, I know. (laughs) Exactly. It was pitch perfect. because. That woman at the bus stop is old and happy, which means she is wise. Yes. Which implies that she has cultivated virtue. Yeah. It's all embedded. It's all the unspoken. But it's there. It's and that's, that's the deeper meaning of, like, the parable of Barbie is these things, not, like, the, the woke grandma on the outside. Yeah. So, I mean, that's fascinating. I love this idea that, you know, Barbie begins as not juicy. That's the, that's the perfect word. <laughs> it really juicy. is. Because yeah. it gets at, like, I mean... Obviously, juiciness is the point if the film ends with her literally going to the gun. Exactly. I mean, that is the best possible spin. I love it. You can put. Yeah. I'm going, I'm getting a pelvic exam. That's right. 
right so so barbie stops out barbie starts out not juicy like she can't even properly drink water there's no liquid that's right. in barbie land that's right it's all fake that's right <laughs> there's no shower water there's that's no right. ocean water uh-huh there's, there's no, no milk. there's no yeah there's there's no liquids yeah and i mean and and liquid like water it's such a it's, symbol it's of life straight for life yeah that's right yeah and so yeah, she goes out into the real world and she tries to drink and right and she does the fake drink move and just spills all over. <laughs> it's great, but she gets juicier as the story goes on, right? Right. And we see that she not only learns to drink a cup of tea with her creator, right? Like she finally is really carefully like, okay, where does this go? You know, she she actually drinks the tea, but she also learns to cry, right? And that's not liquid coming in from the outside; that's her own liquid showing itself, right? And so I kept thinking while watching the movie. Barbie's tears are important, right? Like she's opening herself to beauty. She's opening herself to existential dread. She's opening herself to questions and fear and loss and rejection and aging. And her tears aren't a sign of weakness, but a sign of bravery because she's choosing into this mortal realm of hardship and relationship. And so her tears symbolize both juiciness and virtue, which is really interesting. You know, since women's tears have tended to be caricatured as being, oh, overly emotional or hysterical or irrational, right? And so as young women enter puberty, the amount of negative emotion they experience goes up and stays up permanently. Yeah, this is a big Gerard right? Peterson thing. Oh, he yeah. says that. Did you listen to the Parker quote? Kelly J. King? Yes, I did. Yeah, he talks about, about that. that. Exactly. Well, he talks he, he talks to all his interviewees. Yes. <laughs> but this was a good story yeah. to tell in front of her. Yes. Because... Yes. It's fitting. It's fitting. Yeah. So, like, so for women, our average levels of neuroticism increase with puberty, and they just stay above that of men from that point on. And it's just a fact of female life. And it's so interesting that this journey of Barbie into sexual awakening and maturation is simultaneously a journey into more sorrow. And that inevitability of female suffering, which you can't blame on oppression. Exactly. You can't blame it on the patriarchy. She doesn't cry about those things. No. Like, that's something that second and third wave feminism aren't good at talking about and taking seriously because it's too embodied. Yeah. You know, because emotions are what you experience in your flesh, in your body. Like, it's the, it's the whole of you. It's not some, you know, some, like, sort of spiritual disembodied thing. Like, the feelings are fleshy. They come in your body. And so, yeah, that's all connected. And that's all connected with, with virtue, too. It's really fascinating. Yeah, and so that's the subtext. But the text text yeah. is the shitty, tired... Yeah, you know, third wave feminism. So we need to talk about the famous yeah. speech, Gloria's famous speech about how it's impossible to be women. We need to like, we need to just thoroughly. I need to thoroughly express my disdain for the speech. Yes. And before we begin, it's it's funny to me how often I see people because I've been reading and watching some yeah, reviews of, of Barbie. Plenty of people take the speech totally seriously, as if it's like the climax of the movie, as if it's brilliant. I just don't see how that's possible. It's like, oh, this kind of preach it girl moment. But it's not. It's a Hallmark card. It's a shitty Hallmark card. Yeah. And so, yes, we need to critique it. So, I don't know if you've seen the TV show Poker Face. Hell fucking yeah! Yeah, I you was, like Poker Face? I'm obsessed with Columbo, and it's no one watched Columbo. <laughs> Is it really? I didn't no, know No, seriously. That. Like, My mom watched Columbo. I, didn't I am going to write a substack where I do <laughs> a, a post on every episode of Columbo. Really? Fuck yeah. <laughs> okay. That's like Good. bucket listing for me. Poker face. Yeah. Right, so the heroine has this ability to always tell when someone isn't speaking the truth. And the shtick of the show is that whenever she notices it, she always <laughs> says in her smoker voice, bullshit. <laughs> so we're going to poker face Awesome. Because I saw as I was, I was like, oh, you're going to say bullshit all the time. So I was like, I got to I gotta set this up. <laughs> yeah. So, right. Oh, okay. Now Let's I feel even better about this. Okay. <laughs> 
First line. It is literally impossible to be a woman. Right away. Bullshit. <laughs> what does that even mean? It's literally not impossible. Because here we are, you and me, womaning. God, and I, like we didn't even get like eight hours of sleep, and we're still here. Like, I mean, <laughs> I mean, the, and the use of literally there is so like, oh, because literally is the new like, uh-huh. it's that new word that uh-huh. you use for. I mean, I could, there's Slips a whole linguistic everywhere. tangent that I won't go on. But is this impossible to be a woman? The latest twist on you know Simone de Beauvoir: one is not born, one becomes a woman. Theory mm-hmm. of feminism. Mm-hmm. Whereas then we were forced into it, like it's, it was unnatural, and we were like wedged into it, like you know, like. As if our, you know, our feet were shaped to wear high heels when they're not. Is, yeah. Like, so this is the newest version of that. We can't even get there from here. Like, it's, you can't even achieve it. Yeah. What the fuck? <laughs> Women exist because girls are born and they mature. Oh, wait, unless you fuck with their puberty. Mm-hmm. Yeah, maybe then it wouldn't be possible to be a woman. But otherwise, no, it's not impossible. It's inevitable. Yes. I second that. I mean, you could only say it's impossible to be a woman if being a woman is an achievement rather than a given. There you go. So it's bo- it's bogus language. Sex is not achieved. Sex is not assigned at birth. Amen. It's a given. It's a gift. So relax a little bit. Like, <laughs> you can't actually fail at this, ladies. You can't. <laughs> Just like I read something like when my friend was dying, I happened to read this thing by, I want to say Samuel Johnson. He was like one of those factotum types. He was good at everything. He wrote a lot of shit about a lot of shit. I'll just correct myself in the show notes. <laughs> but he talks about dying, and he says, your body knows how to die. And I was like, oh, fuck. That means I could just, like, I don't have to worry. Let it happen. That's so interesting. Like, because your body that's exactly knows. It's like, an organism. Yeah. It knows how to do yeah. that. Well, that's exactly the same as giving birth. Because you're oh. like, oh, my gosh, how am I going to have this baby? It's like, your body knows what to do. Your consciousness is invested. You just got to get out it's of the way. Gonna, yeah, you have to get out of the way and let your body do it. And that's, that's right. Giving that's birth and terrifying. dying. My friend, I have a friend who, meaningful. Okay, I have a friend who um, had her first child last year, and she said it was the most frightening thing she'd ever experienced yeah. in her whole life. You have no control. She was scared shitless. Yeah. I mean, yeah. she was just it terrified. Is, it is kind of traumatizing your first your first one when you don't know what's happening, and and if you don't know if you can like trust, you don't know if you can trust exactly. your body, and you haven't really been taught to trust your body. That's right. Very much. Yeah. But I mean, a good birth class is literally teaching you to trust your body. Mm, okay. So that's what it's doing. So yeah, impossible to be a woman. That's bullshit. Eh. <laughs> Alright, next one. You are so beautiful and so smart and it kills me that you don't think you're good enough. Like, we have to be extraordinary but somehow we're always doing it wrong. Ugh. <laughs> this is just more pablum. I mean, like, it's true that people are, that young women especially are beautiful and smart and they don't know it. Like, that is a but, I mean, that is just, like, it's so banal as to be a truism. We all yeah. have self-doubt, especially women, because we just talked about your level of neuroticism. Yep. And negative emotion is going to go up and stay up. So we all have this. We all have fears that we are unlovable and undeserving of the love and care shown us. Even boys have those fears. Mm-hmm. But this is just pathologizing this human experience. It does no one good and harms many. Yeah. Pathologizing human experience. I like that. That's a good way to say it. And. This feeling of constant failure, it's not unique to women. It's not a a product of the patriarchy. It's nobody's fault. It's just living with limits and being self-aware of them. That's it. And now we get into the really, really terrible part. This is like the, you know. (laughs) You have to be thin, but not too thin. And you can never say you want to be thin. You have to say you want to be healthy, but you also have to be thin. You have to have money, but you can't ask for money because that's crass. You have to be a boss, but you can't be mean. You have to lead, but you can't squash other people's ideas. 
You're supposed to love being a mother, but don't talk about your kids all the damn time. You have to be a career woman, but also always be looking out for other people. <laughs> so, I mean, this is just not reality. This is not the reality of the vast majority of women. Not not just American women, but like women, like overall, worldwide. I mean, how many women is their biggest concern being thin? That's a Hollywood bullshit thing. Yeah. And in Hollywood, you don't actually have to say you want to be healthy. You just go on a Zempic to lose five pounds. <laughs> I mean, this is, this is that's a real thing. Barry Weiss is fucking on a Zempic because she fucking lives in L.A. or San Francisco or whatever. Damn. Yeah, it's because you just, if you're of that set, you have to do what they do. Oh, man. It's a body cult. Ooh. I mean, yeah, I think about, like, I've gained 40 pounds in the last 25 years, but, like, it's, it's like, it's not what I think about all the time. Right. Like, I think about a lot of shit. And I just <laughs> let all those thoughts happen because they're just in my brain. That's right. You know, it's not the center of my existence. Like, fuck off. I mean, money, again, okay. Another Hollywood obsession, right? We've erased the entire history of pre-industrial life. You know, we just work or we don't work and neither is acceptable. What the fuck? We can't ask, I just don't even understand what planet these people are on. Most women are in the labor force. In fact... There was this glowing review of the jobs report, the most recent jobs report on the PBS NewsHour, which we call the woke news in my house, <laughs> and about how the workforce participation rate among women was had risen again, was very high, uh -huh. because, I mean, you know, the she session, a lot of women yeah. had to stop working because, you know, oh, someone had to take care of the kids right. during COVID. But, like, why are we celebrating this? Mm -hmm. It's not because they are striving to self-fulfillment. That's like what Mary Harrington says, right. like, you know? That's right. You know, it's, it's, they're working because if they didn't work, they wouldn't have food and shelter. Right. If mothers have to earn, other people are raising your children. Exactly. This is not what we should be celebrating. I don't think. Mm -hmm. I mean, sure, some women want to work, want to work and I'm not going to judge it. I mean, my own mother was like that. Yeah. She did not want to, like, she wanted to have a career. Yeah. Although she did stay home with me it's much longer. Yeah. She, I was, yes, she stayed home with me the entire time until I went to daycare. Yeah. I was not in daycare as a baby. Mm -hmm. And I think that's good because I am a friggin' sensitive kids, so I imagine daycare <laughs> at six weeks would fuck me up. You know, so I'm not gonna judge a woman who wants to work, but I think that for for the young children, all women should stay home. I think it's better for the child. And I think also most women would choose to stay home until their children go to school. Yeah. Maybe even like till their children are in middle school, you know? Yeah. Most women would choose to be supported and stay home with their children when they are young. Yeah. And I know, I have no doubt this would benefit children. Yeah. Yeah, I'm with you 100% on that. Like, that that's that was my choice, and most of the women I know, that's their choice, or that's their aspiration, right. that they can afford it, right? But it but it really is about, a lot of it is about the money. Like, Well, I mean, it used to be normal. For, you used yeah. to pay men more because you knew they had to, they were supporting right. a family. And they I mean, were not just working sexist, for themselves. Mm -hmm. But it's also, like, for a purpose. Right, right. It's care. Yeah. It, but it, back to this glorious, like, not too much of this and not too much of that. Like, her frustration with balance. You know, be a boss, but don't be mean. Love your kids, but don't talk too much about them. Take care of yourself, but also take care of other people. It's like the work-life balance. Condition. Yeah, right. But it's like, this is not a problem to be complained about. This is literally a description of what's called the golden mean mm. or the golden middle way. It's the desirable middle between two extremes, one of excess and the other of deficiency. This is like basic Aristotelian virtue ethics. It's don't be a coward and don't be foolhardy. Be brave, like right down the middle, right? Don't be lustful and, you know, don't be promiscuous and don't be a prude, but like be faithfully sensual and intimate with your partner, like right in the middle. So to complain like this woman does is just to complain about how hard it is to live virtuously. 
She's like saying, it's hard to be good. Like, yeah, that's a human universal, folks. Like, this is not, this is feminist camp. It doesn't have meaning. Well, it's also, this is very narrow band of women who have careers. Yes. And, like... It's a class-based... It's a very limited class vision of the problems of careerism and raising children. Right. I mean, it's... We used to say in graduate school, we all... Every every grad student needs a wife. (laughs) Like, as a joke, because, you know... Right. We got it. It was... Yeah. You're like, I I need someone to help me with all I need someone to cook my meals and remind me to eat and, you know... I'm like, oh, life takes partnership. Who yeah. thought? <laughs> yeah, yeah. And this idea where you're like, oh, I mean, it's setting you up to fail because it's trying to get you to believe that there's, that what's asked of you is, 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 is from the beginning impossible because you're female. And that's not how reality works. I mean, when you, when you, when you, mm-hmm. when you step away from that, I think you come to a point where you're like, oh, that's not how life really is. That's not really, you grow up and you realize if you want to do one thing, you have to give up another thing. That's right. You have to be serious. Mm-hmm. It's, it gets worse. Yeah. You have to answer for men's bad behavior, which is insane, but if you point that out, you're accused of complaining. You're supposed to stay pretty for men, but not so pretty that you tempt them too much or that you threaten other women because you're supposed to be a part of the sisterhood. I mean, this just doesn't resonate with me at all. It, mm-hmm. it rings hollow. It's more bullshit feminism. Yeah. We have to hold men accountable. And that's not easy when we're taught from a very young age to ignore our gut instincts mm-hmm. about what feels good to us. Yeah. Beauty isn't a weapon. It's a force of nature. It has a role in intimacy, and I would say modesty exists for a reason. Yeah. Yeah, I, I will say this one part, I, I resonated with it just a little because I grew up in evangelical purity culture, which oh. really valued modesty, you know, and encouraged women to be self-aware about the possibility of tempting a brother in Christ to sin or to lust, right? So as a young woman, I really did feel this pull, like, be beautiful, but don't be sexy. Right. And, and yet, like, and yet I agree with you that, you know, beauty is a force of nature. It serves the purpose of sparking an interest in intimacy. And so it's just a fact of life. We have to deal with that. Some women are prettier than others and it's going to be hard for us. (laughs) You know, it's hard for the pretty ones that comes with its own set of problems. Right. And it's hard for the not pretty ones. Like I I feel it. I get it. And it's unfair. It is unfair. Right. Because life's unfair. Life's unfair. (laughs) I mean, you're supposed to be learning that. I mean, like, of all the things my mother ever said to me, I feel like that's the one she had to remind me of most frequently. It was really hard to accept that as a young child. Yeah. I have a very overdeveloped sense of whatever that is. That makes you... I don't know like, belt out. It's not fair. But just, like, like that. that very, like, highly attuned sense of moral values. Like, mm. when something is mm. unjust, when I perceive something to be unjust, I get really... <laughs> extra upset about it right so you had to face early the fact that that life's not fair and that's not because people have gone and screwed it up it's because that's literally at bottom it's just that way yeah like it's been that way before people were here <laughs> like yeah, you have to accept that you're gonna it's gonna feel horrible and there's not always something you can do about it you right. just have to learn to like adjust yeah 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 all right so next part you know, but always stand out and always be grateful. But never forget that the system is rigged. So find a way to acknowledge that, but also always be grateful. I mean, this is pure bullshit. This is goop quality back business. <laughs> I mean, it's it's not even worth any more of my breath to critique it. Yeah. So because it's, it's setting... Okay, I'll, I'll critique it now. I'll <laughs> more breath. Because, like, it's setting you up to have no agency. Uh-huh. 
Like, gratitude exists in a nexus of service, care, and duty to one another. Yeah. You cannot achieve that if your entire worldview is we are puppets and someone is manipulating us in this rigged system. And this is why, like, DEI and white supremacy and white guilt and all that shit, that's why it doesn't work. That's why it's corrosive. Mm. Because it never actually gives agency back to people. Yeah, and here's, and here's the next part. You have to never get old, never be rude, never show off, never be selfish, never fall down, never fail, never show fear, never get out of line. It's too hard. It's too contradictory. And nobody gives you a medal or says thank you. And it turns out, in fact, that not only are you doing everything wrong, but also everything is your fault. Again, this is just the pure pathologizing of the natural struggles of human existence. And, I, and you know what it reminds me of? It reminds me of those videos that lives a TikTok repost about like millennial like Gen Zers having a crisis because someone misgenders them. Yeah. It's like fake hurt. Yeah. Yeah. It's like I mean it's not real. I mean it's not it's not I mean it is real to those people because they've been living this brainwashed, you know, panopticon of performative intimacy or whatever that what is that phrase from like performative disclosure performative disclosure porn, all those yes. things, right? Yep. We try, we fail, we try again, we fail again, we learn too, and we age, and it's okay, because we develop a social fabric that supports us to do it yes. well. Yeah. A good life and a good death are possible, but you're never going to get there right. if this is the shit you're internalizing. That's right. You just yeah. can't get there. You're, not, you're never going to have the tools. That's right. If the world is against you. Yeah. And, when, you know, and just hearing that, you have this, and, you know, never do this, never do this, never, like... That sounds like an anxious, depressed mind to me. It doesn't sound like a normal woman's experience. Exactly. It doesn't sound like a healthy person, right? Like It's, if, a, it's a magazine. Buy this magazine yeah. so you can figure out how not to feel these things. That's it's a right. consumerist... 32 tips on how to stop, you know, hating yourself. Exactly. <laughs> no, well said. Well right? Said. It's like, if you think that you're doing everything wrong, and you also think that everything is your fault, you probably need to be in therapy or you should go to a priest who will tell you that you're suffering from something called scrupulosity. Oh, there's a word for that? <laughs> oh, yeah. Um, which is this glorious old spiritual term that means your conscience is hyperactive and you need to chill out. <laughs> like the priest will tell you, you know, you're forgiven, it's okay, go home, pray some Hail Marys, you'll be all right. <laughs> you know, like the, the word scruple originally meant like a little pebble in your shoe that like wears away at you as you're walking and mm. hurts you with every step. And then it became sort of abstracted to mean, like, your conscience is nagging at you over your failures. Everything you do, it's wrong. Every step hurts, right? Like, and so, again, this is, this is not feminism, this, her, her complaining here. It's scrupulosity. Mm. It's, like, not good mental health, you know. So I, I don't know why feminism would want to associate itself with bad mental health. <laughs> I don't know. Yeah, well, yeah, yeah. It's, <laughs> it's, it's not giving anyone away a path to do anything productive. And I mean, I don't mean, like, industrial, industriousness productive. I mean, like, psychologically forming good ties, maturation productive. Yeah. yeah. And also, like, whenever anyone says, everything's my fault, what they're asking for is they're it's setting up to be like, oh, it's not your fault. It's actually really not your fault at all. It's, well, the system's rigged. Like, it's, it's inviting someone to come in and do, you know, do that sort of, faux therapy thing for you to help you feel better. It's like confession, but you never get the payoff. Exactly. It's exactly. like... Yeah. Because in, like, confession, you get to the 
you get you get the out. absolution. You get the absolution, but that's it's right. functional because like yes. you are forgiven. Go out and do these things. That's right. And then it's well. Then here's your penance or your restitution. Go, you know, go donate blood now. Go, do, you know, go give to the soup kitchen. Go pray for someone else. Like right. do an action not that takes you, you out of yourself. Exactly. Go make because it about someone else. Because the problem was being in yourself. Exactly. So we have a way to fix it. Exactly. Especially for someone who's you know scru- overly exactly. scrupulous. The priest will tell you. Your penance is to go and serve someone else and stop thinking about yourself. <laughs> and <laughs> like, it works, too. And, like, don't come to confession tomorrow, either, because that's too much. Like, wait a week, <laughs> you know, because you're thinking about yourself too much. Right, 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 yeah. right, right. <laughs> and so, okay, so this, this, this peaks here, right? Mm-hmm. I'm just so tired of watching myself and every single other woman tie herself into knots so that people will like us. And if all of that is also true for a doll just representing women, then I don't even know. I mean, the (laughs) rhetoric of this is just so pitch perfect. I mean, the subtext of this, first of all, I'm just so tired of watching myself. So Ah, again, self-examination. And then it never gets anywhere. Then I don't even know. It literally concludes with an inability to form knowledge. Oh my God. I'm like so grad school. (laughs) I can't help (laughs) myself. That's right. I mean, like, Thought ends <laughs> as you gaze it's at yourself It's like a thought-preventing cliche. You know, yeah. You're talking about thought-terminating cliches. Yeah. It's like, it's a like, it's impossible. It's, a, it's literally impossible to be a woman because I can't even think. I can't end a sentence <laughs> with knowledge. I don't even know. I don't even know. Do women really think about being liked? I mean, we all think about being liked. Okay, and we've established baseline of, you know, increased negative emotion, eroticism, right? But it is possible as a woman to get beyond this layer of yeah. adolescent angsty. You can move beyond it. You don't never have a negative thought about yourself your whole life. But you know, if this is if this is, if we can only get to I don't even know, we are doing something wrong. Right. In the context of mature adult relationships, women no longer think like Cosmo magazine headlines. There's a reason why those magazines feature grown women, but tweens read them. It's because the thinking in there is very adolescent. Yeah. Adulthood is not childhood. True. We grow up and we make decisions and we make compromises. Yep. We form bonds of friendship and love and duty and service and we hope for the best. Some of us pray. Many of us pray at least sometimes. <laughs> this is just not feminism. This I don't even know. Mm-hmm. No more than a doll is a woman. If anyone felt moved by this speech, they may be just be beyond help. Well, I have to say, when I when we were in the theater and it was starting, I, I was felt like, I felt myself being like, "Oh, yeah, yeah!" Like I started to get on the train. I, I was know, feeling I was it, never and on then the train. you were never on the train. But I, you know, I I started to get a, I got a little bit like I started to enter into the movie it, when she okay, gave that speech okay. just enough. But then when it ended, I was I kind of landed back down. I was like, "Wait a minute, you're bullshitting me!" Like I, but but I I, I caught on for a minute. Because yeah. really, the far more relevant and far more genuine moment, movement, moment, movement, like <laughs> tra- movement as like trajectory of the film, like yeah. where the film really moves or turns, like, you know, catastrophe in Greek means turning point, catastrophe, the turning of the line. I did not. Oh my God, this Good. is like, I'm like. You're so grateful. I love to go get another PhD. This is terrible. <laughs> Somebody stop me. So the, 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 the real peak of the film is where the ghost of Ruth Handler, and and this I looked it up. She died over twenty years ago in two thousand two. 
<laughs> she gives figurative rebirth to Barbie, this time not as a doll, but as an adult human female. So the same way Barbie is never a baby, Barbara never is either. Mm-hmm. But Ruth gives her a preview of what it is to be human. Mm-hmm. It's all about relationships with women, with men, with your children. It's family and aging and eventually death. It's feeling, but not feeling as this self-directed, identitarian, hopelessly politicized, navel-gazing, this I don't even know. Mm -hmm. It's feeling as an embodied relational existence. It's coming into knowledge. Genuine, reliable knowledge. And Barbara is like, yes! (laughs) I want that. Give me that. Even if I have to take some lumps with it. Even if it isn't perfect. because Actually, no, because it isn't perfect, Right. right? It isn't plastic. It's real. The pains are real, but so are the joys. Choose life. Oh my God, I sound right, right? Choose vaginas. Like really, like you see how the two political sides are really saying the same thing. Yes. Yeah. This is the most pro-natalist film to come out of Hollywood in easily a generation. It necessarily disguised as a consumer's homage to diversity, inclusion, and equity, which, if you spell that out, die. Although my, I prefer, actually, I will confess, I'm doing this on purpose to say, because I'm making a point that die is the opposite of life, but usually I actually do, like to do diversity, equity, and inclusion, because it's they, God. Oh, God. Oh, nice. Anyway. <laughs> so, brava, Greta Gerwig, fellow Barnard alumna. Woo! And, like, official call out, any anytime you want to be on the show, you're welcome, but you have to bring a book, them's the rules. <laughs> Well, let's, uh, you had this good idea of let's subtitle the film. Okay, some hot takes. It's like the the lightning round here. (laughs) Okay. From girl night to gyno appointment, the story of belated sexual awakening. Perfect. (laughs) Barbie. Plastic Pinocchio. How a perpetually happy toy became a real girl by learning to cry and getting ready to die. (laughs) That's brilliant. (laughs) Or the short version, Barbie gets a vagina. (laughs) All right, George, so tell me about the patriarchy in Barbie. Oh, my God. That's the password if you want to be subversive now. Mm-hmm. Distract the woke with that shibboleth. Dangle patriarchy. Yeah. Like, We're talking about patriarchy. <laughs> but then say what you really mean. I mean, honestly, I think the movie would have been way better had that word never been uttered. And yeah. I actually don't think it would have been that hard. Right. To do it. Yeah, you could just show it. Yeah. You could just show it. But they, they, they really had to throw the woke off the scent, I think. I think that's why. Because it, it really was South Park-esque when yes. it was invoked. Yeah. Yeah, I agree. I, you know, saying the word made the movie feel too obvious, too preachy, and it, it would have been better left unsaid. But if you use patriarchy, you're signaling you're not on the far right. So then you can say what you want. You're totally right about that. I think one of the best lines in the movie is when Ken admits, to be honest, when I found out the patriarchy wasn't about horses... I lost interest. I love that one. <laughs> and he says it like like a disappointed little boy. It's really sweet. And it's brilliant because it's actually this hint at virtue, at innocence, right? Like, Ken is not some evil overlord. He's not a bad boyfriend. He's not a far-right incel. You know? He's a little boy who's interested in trucks, right? He likes cowboys and horses. <laughs> and just like Barbie isn't a real woman... She's a girl's fantasy of a woman, so Ken is a little girl's fantasy of a man, which is actually kind of innocent boyhood, mm-hmm. right? Mm-hmm. And so I'm a mother of three boys. I grew up with two brothers, boys, 
are awesome. <laughs> boys are delightful, right? They have they have a pure masculine energy and, and focus and drive and curiosity that is so good. I mean, like think of Tom Sawyer, mm. Peter Pan, Peter Rabbit, Calvin and Hobbes. Like this is good trouble, you know. I love it. I really love it. And Ken has some of this. So so his kind of corruption in the real world, where he learns about the patriarchy, is shown by his admission later on that his heart was never in it. He doesn't want to oppress anybody. He just wants to be strong, right? Like he wants to be admired and respected while being worthy of admiration and respect. And he wants to be seen by Barbie and to be valued as equal to her. And he really wants to ride a horse. <laughs> you know, and these are not bad desires. These are good. You know, so the whole Kendom, patriarchy, mojo dojo, casa house, and a war of the Kens... All of that felt like a girl's caricature of boyness, which they don't understand and don't respect and don't like. Right. So the portrayal of the Kens instituting patriarchy is just a modern way of saying boys have cooties. You are so right. Isn't that, that is, right? That is it's boys have cooties. All oh, those gross boys. Look what they're doing. They're so dumb. That is an excellent analysis. That's what it that. is. It's cooties. It's cootification. So there is no meaningful critique of real men in the real world embedded in the movie's depiction of patriarchy. There isn't. There just isn't. So. You know, so I think the conservatives, you know, overreacted by taking this literally as if the movie is anti-men, and they just missed the joke. Yeah. They missed the joke. Yeah. So yeah. I, I don't think I don't think conservatives need to be offended that it's anti-men <laughs> at all. So. Also, technically, Barbie Land cannot be a patriarchy because there are no fathers. <laughs> You're right, because there's no penises. And the women are, are getting the Kens to fight one another by purposely... Um, fomenting sexual jealousy. Which actually makes no sense because you can't they, really have sexual jealousy if you have no sex. <laughs> yeah. Sorry. And like, and so those two forces are, in, in the real world, those two forces are the opposite, right? Mm. It's bad enough to whine about patriarchy, but I can't even respect this argument when the word itself is abused. Yeah. Patriarchy is not about male dominance. Right. I mean, like, <laughs> Clap it out. You know, <laughs> men are physically strong in any society. No society is going to change that. So patriarchy is a system, one among others, you could possibly think of, that constrains, is an attempt to constrain male sexual dominance. Yes. Is it perfect? Fuck no. But nothing is. Trade-offs. That's right. No solutions, only trade-offs. So it's like, I mean, patriarchy is designed to have a system where you women can't just go around moving among the men, antagonizing them to hurt each other. That's right. part of the it's plan. It's bad for everybody. That's part of the plan. That's right. Because you, you, we all could do that. We all could walk around. like and, and hypergamy is what results when you just let men like do that. It makes no... It, it's right. Not, you get one dude with the harem and everyone else is... And, and then you get their incels, like, you know, yeah. coming to all our rallies, like, you know, trying to throw, like, eggs at women who want to stay, keep men out of women's right. prisons. I mean... Right. The good kind of patriarchy is trying to prevent, like, the hypergamy of Tinder, right? Like, yes. That's, that's what it's trying yes. to avoid. <laughs> and it says to women, like, if you want to behave like this, there are costs. Yeah. Not just to you, but to others. Yeah. Yeah. Absolutely. All right, George, tell me about the matriarchy. <laughs> <laughs> It's satire. Barbie Land is satire because it's no more realistic than the presentation of the real world is in this film. Mm -hmm. And we can talk about why. But I, I kept thinking of Dworkin's very non-satire plea that feminism should not merely consist of 
role reversal and women adopting the attitudes of men. Right. Like, she doesn't, Dworkin is very specific. She says we can't just switch places in the hierarchy. Exactly. Or, and start mimicking the behaviors of men. Of course, she lost that battle. But she's right. And at first, I was a little dismayed that the film seemed to be taking that idea seriously. Mm. That, like, that Barbie was a functional reversal of a real, of, of, a, of a sort of fallen right. human world. Right. Like, we could, like, restore justice uh-huh. by having an all-female Supreme Court. Uh-huh. Uh, I mean, but that's not serious. I mean... It's not. I don't think the movie was actually trying to say, like, yeah, this would be great, even though all the Barbies are, like, happy clappy at the end, and Alan is like, I'm so happy, <laughs> being with the girls. Like, no, it, it is satirized. It's shown to be not really a victory. And also in a world without real mechanical forces, like no liquid, like no physics, <laughs> you, you, it's funny how that aligns perfectly with a world, world in which women can do all the jobs. Uh-huh, uh-huh. Because it takes out the issue of, like, the physical world in which strength. men can't do all the physical jobs. That's right. That's very I mean, interesting. That's a great point. Barbie Land is anti... It's anti-physics. I mean, right? Like, she floats up yeah, the top Yeah, it's very purposeful. Her. Because right. it, children's heads are like that, too. I mean, yeah. There's no incongruity with just that. Just do whatever. Yeah. You're just picking them up and moving them around. But, I mean, like, literally the car doesn't have an engine. So there are That's no right. auto mechanics. That's right. And, like, the, all the trades that, like, you know, you see the women bringing their pink garbage bins to the curb but like who drives the garbage truck i mean right so it's this classic and like that line where like where do the kens even live Uh i mean that to me is like a (laughs) that is like i read that as a sort of subtle acknowledgement of like women careerist women who are worried about being thin and not asking for money and not you know that very narrow band of what murray would call the new elites that very narrow band of women doesn't see the world that depends on the labor of men. That's right. From coal the, to garbage. Right. The Kens the, and to construction. Work is everything in Barbie Land is already like magically built. Right. So it's like the men are totally superfluous. They're beach. <laughs> right? Yeah. They have nothing to do. We don't even know where they go at night, but we don't want them in our girls' night. They're totally superfluous. Yeah, like I literally And don't they should know where just get live. over it. Yeah. Like literally. what kind of society is like where you don't know where the other half of the human population like that's <laughs> like right. super dystopian. I mean, on some yeah, level, like, it's right? Like, it is, yeah, dystopia in pink, right? It's yeah, that matriarchy. They're not celebrating it. They show it as so over the top, so you kind of go, ooh. Well, I I'm like, ooh. I mean, to say that, like, I mean, to say that the Supreme Court should be all women is exactly like the same argument as saying it should, like, it's just. Re- it's just, this, yeah. I mean, like, the reason there were no women on the Supreme Court is because women weren't taking intellectual, intellectually seriously. And so if you have no men on the same, on the Supreme Court, that's saying the same thing. Right. Right. So, yeah, it's saying, let's have all women on the Supreme Court. It's, it, again, just like I said, the stuff about Ken is like, oh, boys have cooties. This is, you know, girls rule, boys drool. It's that. It's the chill, it's the childish, we win, you suck. It's just that. It's the literalization of the feminist slogan I grew up with, which was anything a boy can do, a girl can do better. Oh, yeah. Which is, yeah, which is great to, to, to internalize the sense that you're not... Because I think it was important for my mother's generation to, to tell that to their daughters. It was vital. Because my mother was in that generation that was uh-huh. told, you can't go to law school. Right. And if it's that sort of like overcompensating to just get your foot in the door... I get that. Like, we've read, you know, I think Dworkin does that kind of language. Helen Gurley Brown does that kind of, like, the overblown rhetoric that just gets you a spot at the table. But, like, you just can't keep talking and thinking that way. Right. Like, it has its place to, like, 
you know, it's rhetoric. It's, it's not rhetoric reality. to push down the door. Exactly. Right. And then the rhetoric needs to be set aside to be like, okay, we're here. We're in. Right. All right. Now we can we got to renegotiate this. Right. Like now let's merit. talk about equality. Mm-hmm. Right. Yeah. <clears throat> yeah. So exactly. I mean, the matriarchy is satirized just like the patriarchy is satirized in Barbie. And so the movie's ending in which the Barbies take back Kendom and restore it as Barbie land where all the Barbies are in charge. The Kens are superfluous. That ending is not a real win. Right, it shows that both matriarchy and patriarchy, as competitive visions, are futile and sterile. Yeah. Right, and and we know the Barbie's victorious matriarchal restoration isn't the point of the movie because Barbie leaves afterwards. Mm-hmm. Right, like if it was paradise, she'd stay for those endless girls' nights. You know, and, and do you remember that that really poignant moment where Barbie apologizes to Ken for having all these girls' nights and like never having a night just for Ken? Like, she acknowledges that she's hurt him, that she's been selfish and oblivious. Like, it was kind of, it was an understated moment, but I think it was really important in showing that the sisterhood isn't enough. Like, Barbie needs a man, and men are worth something. And, like, and she was wrong to just be like, whatever. You know, I like that moment. Um, And so Barbie votes with her feet. Like, she gets out of Dodge. She leaves plastic femtopia. (laughs) <laughs> right, and, and she chooses to become a real woman with vagina and a uterus you know, amongst other real men and women in the world who have to learn to reconcile and cooperate. All right. Okay. Tell me about childbearing. <laughs> where, do, where do I even start? This was another big theme of the movie. I mean, did you know that there was a pregnant Barbie? <laughs> I missed that when it, like, the actual pregnant Barbie. I didn't know that. The toy. Yeah, and we know that it would probably had a very short moment, but there, but there was, and there's so there she is in Barbie Land. I mean, I love that about this movie. This yes. is very like post, um, I like almost post irony in the fact that the film purposely looks toward it's the cringier bits of yeah. its history. Like the more cringier, the better. Yeah, and so you can't look at this doll, Midge. I think her name yes. was. Um, without the post-ironic narrator, Helen Mirren, agreeing with you that a pregnant doll is too creepy, too <laughs> uncanny, and that's why it was discontinued. But what better, what more succinct irony about consumerism that there is a pregnant doll that doesn't sell? That's right. Pregnancy doesn't make money. You can't <laughs> sell what the species literally depends on for its perpetuation. Wow. Yeah. <laughs> I mean that's weird, right? And also the backstory about the skipper doll who escaped before. Yeah. <laughs> like the, it's just like totally like it's not delved into at all. They don't even visualize it. It's just a line. It's just a throw off line. Yeah. She attempted. It's very Thirty Rock, right? Yeah. She attempted to teach toddlers to surf. That's the throwaway <laughs> line, right? So obviously dangerous and inappropriate. But like let's let's do the grad school thing on it. So skipper doesn't know what children are. And right. the reason she doesn't know what children are is because there are no babies. There are no children in Barbie Land. Right. Even though she's supposed to be the babysitter. <laughs> well, right. Exactly, right? So but so that's impossible in the real world to not know a baby. Right. As everyone has to start off as a baby. Right. So it's this child-free paradise whose citizens become dangerous in the real world because they don't actually know where babies come from or that's what babies right. are, right? Yeah. In some ways, I really think, I was saying to I was as we were driving over from the movie, I was saying this to you. Yep. I think that in some ways this generation is a generation of skippers. Mm-hmm. Like, more young people than ever before do not experience younger children, whether it's siblings, cousins, whatever, or babysitter kids, right? Yeah. Before they themselves have kids. <laughs> like, my inner grad student is screaming at me that skipper taking the toddler surfing is like a... You can read below that the subtext of ignorant parents taking their children to have their puberty blocked. 
they are doing harm because of their ignorance. Yeah. If you don't spend a lot of time with children, you don't get that they are naive and gullible, and you have to basically save them from themselves constantly <laughs> until they're, say, like, 25. Yes. Yes. <laughs> so Barbie leaving Ken is a reversal of leaving your marriage and child to find yourself. It's leaving yourself to find a sex life, and we presume a child, and you're led by your vagina. <laughs> It's so pro-human and pro-natalist, and yet all the wokesters are going to be fooled by the surface homage to the traditional, oh, women have it so hard, I'm sure more porn and sex work will help free us from patriarchy. You go, girl! Feminism. <laughs> I mean, like, they're going to just, like, slide right along that same old tired route. And But really what's going on is this, this pro-vagina message, right? <laughs> I'm optimistic enough to hope that Barbara's vagina will lead her to a sex life and a child through marriage, but it'll have to be the one that recuperates the pride and prejudice stakes. Like, that mm-hmm. moment where it was, like, um, chronically depressed Barbie, or, right. like, whatever. Chron- yeah. I, I, another post-ironic, if we That's made a Barbie right. out of a real woman. Right, she'd be watching Pride and Prejudice all day. All day. And then lying in bed. <laughs> and so that's what she really wants. And that, I've written a post about this, actually. I feel like I did my homework, even without knowing it was homework. That novel is all about marriages. It's about... Mm-hmm. The um, the joy, the possible joy that results from choosing the absolutely right marriage for you, and yes. in this movie, the marriage between the mother Gloria, we could dig into that name choice, mm-hmm. and her and her daughter's father, who's never even named, I don't think. I don't. Well, I wonder if he's named in the credits. Mm. Let's see the movie again. Um, this marriage is so unbelievable that you almost wonder if they made if they purposely made the husband lamer than even Ken, oh, yeah. who has no penis. That's a really low bar. <laughs> Because they didn't want to be accused of portraying marriage in the real world in a positive light. <laughs> so, weird. so, like, this is the setup. He has a teenager with a wife who is a native Spanish speaker, and he's still struggling to pronounce the word for pen in Spanish. Boligrafo. That's pen, I'm pretty sure. Um, I mean, that makes him retarded. Because, I mean, their kid is what? Like, 13? She's like 12. Yeah. Like, 12 years, man. I mean, no. You, I mean, if you either that? have learned Spanish or you would have given up. But you wouldn't be sitting there with, like, Still you know, Duolingo, unable to get the emphasis right on the simple Spanish word. Yeah. So, I mean, okay, what? Are we supposed to not notice that and, like, accept the woke points for making it an, an inter-ethnic marriage? I can't say interracial because Hispanic's not a race. But I wouldn't marry that guy. Right. I mean, literally his wife has more connection to a, a Barbie in an imaginary alternative universe called yeah. Barbie Land. Yeah. Than she does with this man. I mean, I was convinced until, like, almost the end of the film. Like, until the moment where it's like, what about dad? I was convinced she was a single mother. I just took that yeah. for granted. Right. Right. I mean, she functionally is in the, the realm of the movie. Right. Again, he's superfluous, just like the Kens are superfluous. Yeah. I mean, there's just no possible way to incite envy of married women if that's what you're missing. I mean, yeah. she, she does need him like a fish needs a bicycle. Not at all. Yeah. That's the feminist... Yeah. It's almost as if the like feminism feminism's most frequent thought has become its most present reality. It's like mm. we we say you and I say all the time that feminism has failed, and I'm beginning to think maybe it just worked too well. <laughs> yeah. Right. My body, my choice. Oh yeah, I don't have to go through puberty. I don't need tits. Right. It worked too well. That's right. So again, though, here you're paying lip service to the woke platitudes about like how men are useless, because otherwise you wouldn't be allowed to make the movie at all. Yeah, but it's like, but when they kind of say it out loud like that, it looks really dumb. It looks like, it looks like, I don't even know. 
Like, it looks like not thought. It, 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 so it's like, I, Greta Gerwig is extremely intelligent. Yeah, she's not yeah. stupid. So when she shows she these I feminists, I don't know if she's married. She's with Noah Baumbach as her partner. I don't know if they're married. Oh. But uh, they wrote the movie together. Oh. Yeah. But, so, like, she's smart. She's, so when they present the, the feminist idea just sort of, like, on its face, and you go, that's really stupid. <laughs> you know she's critiquing it. She's not, she's not, like, thumbs up, yeah. Okay. Men are dumb. No, she's showing that when you present men as dumb, that idea is dumb. That's yeah, I mean, I think you're probably right, but I mean, my reaction as I was watching the movie was to be pissed off about that. Yeah. I can't take a woman seriously as a feminist if she's married to an obvious douche with whom there is no connection of any recognizable kind. Yeah. No emotional engagement, no sexual attention, and no intellectual respect. Yeah. We're brainwashing young women to think men suck. When you and I know that men can be absolutely amazing. Yes. I read this book once about um, public education and how there's a lot of people think, in hindsight, that it was set up by the robber barons to ensure that nobody could follow in their footsteps because it would regiment young minds into thinking non-creatively so they couldn't... Like, if you read things about the early robber barons, they were, like, you know, running... They were running around at five, like, hustling. Yeah. They were just completely, like, freeform... Yeah. Self-made boys. Yeah. Turned into self-made men. Yeah. So they, uh, the goal was, um, now that they had all these monopolies, they wanted to make sure nobody could climb up the ladder after them and dethrone them. Ah. So, in that, this is why I say, That's interesting. Like, they want to tamp down that good trouble. This this <laughs> version of feminism is the equivalent of that. We are pulling up the ladder to emotional success behind us, but instead of like preserving something for us, in this case, it's just worth we're suiciding the next generation. We're, we're harming her. It's harmful. Wow. So we've got to go out there and tell young women that these cults, transhumanism, bullshit feminism, are leading them astray. And they need yeah. to listen to us and just be normal. And I mean that in a mathematical, not a moral term. Like, the, the norm is where, like, people are because it's the water's better in here. Like, you know, the water's warm here. That's just right. be normal and be happy. Right. And, like, this message that you know, your husband is essentially a useless appendage who can't say the word for sp- in Spanish for pen. I mean, it's, it's, it's deleterious. I mean, it, like, getting married to the right person is the best thing I've ever done in my life. Yeah. Mm. Yeah, I'm totally with you on this. And I, I want to repeat what you said at the beginning of that because it's so good. Right. Barbie leaving Ken is a reversal of leaving your marriage and child to find yourself, which is a clever nod to Ibsen's A Dollhouse, where Nora leaves her family. Right, It's leaving yourself to find a sex life and a child led by your vagina. Oh, I just love that. <laughs> and Barbie breaks up with Ken not because the movie is anti-man or anti-family, but because Ken is a plastic child's toy with no penis, and Barbie needs a real man. And yeah. so... and part of why I do have hope that the trajectory Greta Gerwig is hinting at in that final scene where Barbara goes to the gynecologist is one of marriage and motherhood is that there's this beautiful montage of memories like these scenes of girls and and women of all ages and family settings laughing and playing and dancing growing up and growing old right and Barbie is joining this stream of mothers and daughters like you mentioned earlier she takes the last name of her creator Ruth Handler becoming Barbara Handler so she's got a mother now and there's this sense that leaving Barbie land behind is like entering puberty and leaving childhood, right? It's being initiated into the mysteries of sex and procreation. Mm-hmm. And so, interestingly, that that ending is quite subversive of the film's over-the-top opening, 
right, in which these little girls smash and throw their baby dolls away, right, to the music of 2001 A Space Odyssey. What's being smashed in the original? Like, totems? I saw that movie once, like... throwing rocks or something. But what are they destroying? Like, the gods? I don't remember if they're destroying anything. I just remember they're kind of, like, you know, monkeying around, around. All right, show notes. Yeah, I I can't quite remember. But, you know, so the movie begins with this um, symbolic destruction of babies and the way that little girls mimic their mothers by playing at caregiving, right, by loving their baby dolls. You know, but the movie ends with this sexless toy becoming sexed, with plastic becoming flesh, right? It's an incarnation with the stereotypical trappings quite literally. of... literally. Yeah, quite literally, right? <laughs> the, the stereotypical trappings of femininity are giving way to female anatomy whose purpose is sexual union and procreation. So the movie opens by sneering at motherhood and it wraps up by opening the door to motherhood as a possibility, even in a world full of threats, violence, suffering, and so on. Bravo. All right, so a couple more uh, cultural references. So you you, you spoiled this one. Oh, but the sorry. Scene, the scene where Ken confesses he doesn't know who he is without Barbie. That's, I swear, <laughs> I'm going to bet You my, called it. You thought of it. I'm going <laughs> to bet my bottom dollar that that's inspired by um, A Doll's House by Ibsen, where Nora tells Torvald, you know, like, why she has to, she has to leave because she doesn't know who she, who she is. And it's clever when it's re- the roles are reversed. Yeah. Um, it hits all the right notes. I yeah. mean, I, I'm like, you could... One could write a paper on this. Yeah. So I'm, I'm not sure if this is the scene that you're thinking of. I thought it might be. Well, so I'm not sure either because I read that. I think the last <laughs> time I read that play was in grad school, which oh, really? means, like, it's too far away. So uh, since we're nerds, let's read it. All right. Um, I'll be Nora. Okay, you be Nora. Okay. It's true, Torvald. When I lived at home with Papa, he used to tell me his opinion about everything, and so I had the same opinion. If I thought differently, I had to hide it from him, or he wouldn't have liked it. He called me his little doll, and he used to play with me just as I played with my dolls. Then I came to live in your house. That's no way to talk about our marriage. I mean, when I passed out of Papa's hands into yours, you arranged everything to suit your own tastes, and so I came to have the same tastes as yours, or I pretended to. I'm not quite sure which. Perhaps it was a bit of both, sometimes one and sometimes the other. Now that I come to look at it, I've lived here like a pauper, simply from hand to mouth. I've lived by performing tricks for you, Torvald. That was how you wanted it. You and Papa have committed a grievous sin against me. It's your fault that I've made nothing of my life. So, I mean, this hits all the things. It's like money, but you can't ask for it. I mean, this yep. is like, I need to have my own this, that, this, that. Um, and it's all in the context of dolls. And now yes. in the scene with Ken and Barbie, the sex roles are reversed. But you're literally in a doll's mm-hmm. house. Mm-hmm. I mean, it's like, it's too, it's too good. <laughs> So, good for you for yeah. being cool, because, yeah, we are nerds, our red friends. So, you've got Nora blaming first her father and then her husband for treating her like a doll, for making her derivative, and playing out their desires through her while she's passive and loses her sense of self, right? And, ironically, this is what stereotypical Barbie has been doing to Ken all this time, right? There's a hierarchy in Barbie land, and she's above him. Ken is her doll. She plays with him and discards him. She picks him up, and she puts him down. She's happy to see him. She's happy to forget he exists, right? And in Barbie land, he's nothing without her. And that's actually what makes him vulnerable to the patriarchy nonsense. His horse and beer-fueled rebellion is like Nora leaving home, trying to find an identity after having been someone else's plaything, right? He has to discover that he's Knuff, right? I'm getting that sweatshirt. <laughs> it's brilliant. And in the context of the movie, I don't think it's trying to be anti-relationship. I think it's saying, don't be codependent and enmeshed. 
Yeah, I mean, <laughs> it's just, it, it's, it's, that was one of my favorite scenes in the film. Yeah, where they're talking it out. Where they're talking it out. And he's, like, and crying like, on the bed. I don't know who I am without you. I know. And, like, did you notice that when they got arrested in L.A. in the beginning, the little the little placards they put in front of them, it was, bar- like, her says Barbie and his says Anne Ken. And Ken! Oh! And he brings that up. He's yes. like, there's no me. There's I am nothing without you. Like, because it's and, right. he's and Ken. That's and right. so being Kenuff is about reclaiming He's just he's losing Ken. the end, and she explains it to him. It's yeah. like there's Barbie and there's Ken. Like she explains yeah. it to him like that. So. Yeah, I actually thought that was okay. I thought that was right because it's the messages. Yeah. We we don't have to be codependent. Right. You can you can exist on your own. Yeah. And that of course is the like, you know, it's it's almost like. It's sort of refreshing the feminist pablum about you don't need a man to define you. And it's like it's new enough and novel enough and sort of tongue in cheek enough that it actually makes the. Feminist version of that, like, listenable. Yeah. Yeah. Right, to say to say to Ken, like, you don't need a woman to define you. Right, right, <laughs> right, right. You're good enough as you are, Ken. We love but of you. course, like, the, the joke is on the whole, is on Barbie Land as a whole. Because yes. meanwhile, she's going to go, Yeah. you know. She's getting out. She's going she's gonna to go become a real woman. Yeah. Um, okay. We talked about this one, too, already. The Pride and Pre- Prejudice movie, um... That is the novel about satisfactory mate choice. Mm-hmm. I mean, unless you're asleep, you recognize that as a giant flag planted in the name of heterosexual marriage. Yes. <laughs> I mean, this this movie, like, I'm surprised somebody even come out. I mean, it's it's not a movie that denies that, like, because Alan is, like, supposed to be the gay dude. Right. Right? <laughs> yes. So it's not a movie that denies, um, like, homosexuality. Right. But it doesn't privilege it. Right. It doesn't apologize for being heteronormative. Right. I mean, we shouldn't say heteronormative because that problematizes the norm, and I don't, I don't right. agree with problematizing the norm. Right. I, I just that is not my politics. So that's not a coincidence. Like, no fucking way is that movie, because every girl in that movie theater, every woman in that movie theater has seen that movie at least twice. Yeah, Pride and Prejudice. Yeah. Oh yeah. <laughs> at I've least seen twice. More than that, yeah. <laughs> I mean, this is what girls masturbate to when their sexual awakening <laughs> finds expression in the complexification of the narrative they've been told forever. Yep. A fairy tale wedding between a charming prince and a special young woman. Yep. Women want sex in the context of admiration, loyalty, and love. Yes. And God help us, we can't even seem to be able to say this in our culture. Instead, we get this vacuous, we get Gloria's vacuous speech. Like, we've lost the vocabulary somewhere. It's in, yeah. it's insane. Yeah. So you can only allude to it. Right. You can only, like, put a chick flick reference in as an explicit subtext of... That's right. ...what women really want. Right, but it's an Easter egg. Like, it's full... It's an Easter egg. ...that just seeing that flashed on the screen, like, I see that and I, I know all of what that means. Yeah. It's just... It, yeah. It's super loaded. It's, it's, it's super it's overdetermined super loaded. in, in yes. the best way because that's right. what we're supposed to... I mean, yeah. we didn't talk about this in the Dworkin episode, but, like, and I'm, I don't want to get too detailed into it because I don't want to make us uncomfortable, but, like, you don't really control what you find sexually arousing. And so if you have a culture, like, they know this because they've done studies. It's, it's, it's gross that they did these studies, but they did these studies because, I mean, it was the 70s. <laughs> and, like, so there's a physiology of sexual arousal mm-hmm. so you can have a culture that uses pride and prejudice to get women juicy or you can have a culture <laughs> that uses deep throat it will oh, work okay. 
will get there in the end. Right. But you will. But the different neurons will fire on that pathway. Yeah, and those are not morally equal pathways. They're not. They're not <laughs> virtually equal. Virtuous. No. How do you say yeah. virtuous as a? They're not equally virtuous paths. There you go. Or ethical, because I don't think porn is is ethical. Mm -hmm. So for me, when you see that clip of that movie, what you are saying is that women deserve virtuous virtuous paths to sexual arousal. That's literally what you're saying. Yeah. That's right. And we can't talk about that in our culture. Because Mm -hmm. if you say, I don't want to read about, like, body strippers and rape, like, women read those because they get aroused. Like, we, ha- we have to be able to say that. And yeah. that's because there's a physiology involved. And, like, right. it's not that it's not real. Mm-hmm. It's not that it doesn't occur. Mm-hmm. It's that your heart, you're rewiring something with a cost. Right. You're coming at it with a, you're like, you're coming at it. <laughs> I mean, so Pride and Prejudice is saying women deserve good sex. Right. Literally. Yeah. Like, good, good on the way G. to sex. Yes. <laughs> right so and we can't talk about that anymore we've got trans women or women and sex workers real work um, and that's not that like no that's an, that it's just ugh. right and pride and prejudice is all problematized right and patriarchal and all the things but i mean that's that it. but yeah and so the movie inserts it in a way where you cannot not immediately react saying i like I love that. Yeah. Oh, yeah. exactly. You and I, I love that version of Pride and Prejudice. It's so good. Like, that, that one with Colin Firth. Like, I, part of how I knew I married a good man was that he also loves that version. Yeah. Like, he's seen it multiple times. Like, he'd seen it before. He introduced me to it. He <laughs> saw it first. He was obsessed <laughs> with the line where he's like, I think it's that movie. He says, he says a, a man always has enough time to do his duty. Oh really? Is, the, oh. Is, that, is that that movie or is that um the other one? Which is that um, or is that Pride and Prejudice or is that Sense and Sensibility? Anyway, whatever. I can't remember. Same idea. But yes. Yes. Yeah, and part hot of hot virtue. Hot virtue. Hot oh, virtue. Yes. Yes. <laughs> we don't need trad vibes necessarily. We need hot virtue. Hot <laughs> virtue is the way of saying it without contextualizing there it in a go. conservative quote unquote context. There you go. Oh, I like it. All right, okay. Okay, so yeah, here I'll say what I was going to say about hot virtue. So part of what's so great about it is that Elizabeth Bennett and Mr. Darcy can't come together as a couple until they've both grown in virtue. Exactly. Because they've got that classic, oh, the marriage proposal happens halfway through and it goes all wrong because they're not ready. They're not mature enough yet. They're not virtuous enough yet to be together. And so um, the, the actual, the marriage proposal and acceptance scene at the end between them, it really sounds as much like a confession of sin as a confession of love. You know, because they're both desperately apologizing to one another for all of their vices and failures, for their pride and their prejudice. Yes, yeah, named after the sins they have to overcome. Exactly. Right. Foibles, I suppose. Yeah. We don't have to use the word sin if we don't want. Sure. But more short failures, shortcomings. There you go. And that is the precondition for them coming to intimacy and to reconciliation and being able to admit their love and commit to one another. So that story shows that virtue is the precondition for reconciling men and women. So, you know, back to Barbie. So hence the patriarchy and the matriarchy, both Barbie land and Kendom are stupid because they're competitive and immature and they're not grappling with the need for virtue. Okay. We're going to close with this cultural reference. Okay. This film has to pass the Bechdel test, right? Do you know what the Bechdel test is? Yes. Okay. <laughs> yeah, explain it for Do you know what the Bechdel
Bechdel test is do your homework. Uh, okay, so this is actually in the dictionary now. It is a set of criteria used as a test to evaluate a work of fiction, such as a film, on the basis of its inclusion and representation of female characters. So the usual criteria are as follows. One, that at least two women are featured. Two, that these women talk to each other. And three, that they discuss something other than a man. I mean, this is really interesting, right? Because one and two we can take for granted because there's a zillion women in the film. I mean, yeah. they happen to all be named the same thing, which <laughs> we could talk about. That's but interesting. Uh, or most of them are named the same thing. Uh, they obviously talk to each other all the time. Mm -hmm. uh, but three is where it gets interesting, right? Because they discuss something other than a man. And I think the film fails the spirit of this test, and that's oh. the point. Oh. Because I, I'm sure the women have plenty of conversations where they do not discuss a man. But it's because there's no sexual tension, so there's no motivation to do so. That's right. I mean, the, the accusation that the Bechdel test exemplifies is that women only talk about men. All they do is talk about who they want to fuck, essentially. That's uh -huh. the sort of... Like, like, instead of it, and Ken, it's they're the and woman, right? They're the appendage to... What's the like, point is the men. I don't have any thoughts in my head except who I'm trying to be with. Uh -huh. Like, I'm worried about, does he like me, does he not like me, did he uh -huh. call, will he call... Right. That kind of thing. That's the that's the critique. The test was set up to say like you ha you should be able to make a move make a movie where women talk about things that aren't that isn't that about something that. else than a, that's about something else than a man. Yeah. So this movie like succeeds, but it's like it's failing in the spirit because they are discussing men. They're discussing patriarchy. Yes. They're constantly talking about a class men as a class, and I feel like that's yeah. not an improvement. Mm. So. Barbie fails. I mean, I don't know. I feel like it, I mean, <laughs> technically it has to pass. I mean, there's, there's, you know, I mean, I don't know. Yeah, well, I bet, I, I think maybe, well, the movie as a whole maybe doesn't pass, but if I think of, like, Barbie herself, I don't know. I feel like, I feel like her sights get broadened, you know, her vision gets bigger, and she's having, I don't know. I mean, there's I moments, like, like when, they, when she goes to Weird Barbie, Weird Barbie's house, like, they, yeah. they're talking about existential things. Yes. She kind of has her red pill moment, but it's actually the, the Birkenstock. Right, high and heel the high heel the Birkenstock. She's like, I don't want the Birkenstock. And then at the end of the film, you notice She's she gets out of the Birkenstock. car with the Birkenstocks. That yes. was great. Yes, yes, yes. <laughs> that was great. It's like, give me two feet. Feet flat on the ground of reality, yeah. right? Which is literally grounded. Literally. Right? It's literally grounded. Yeah. I feel like we've had a, that movie, this movie puts us in a moment where the, um, the Bechdel test no longer serves in a way. Because the Bechdel test is saying, it's a critique, saying, oh, filmmakers represent women as being, like, shallow and too male-focused. Mm -hmm. But really, the way of overcoming it isn't having a conversation not about men. It's having a life where men are taken seriously, even if you don't talk about them all the time. It's, yeah. you know, it's, it's having a better husband than beleaguerful boy. Yes. So overall, do we give it how many thumbs up? The film? The film. I think everybody has to go see the Barbie film. <laughs> I think it's worth seeing. I think it's important. And there's, it has, whether you, again, like whether you love Barbie or hate Barbie, and even whether you enjoy the movie or not, it's important to see. Because I think it has these, these it has these turning points, this catastrophe. <laughs> like, we are in a catastrophe moment kind of, you know, it's a parable with the with the trappings, the woke trappings on the outside, but then this very 
you know, interesting message, this gem of a message in the middle that not everyone is getting, but go see it. Go, go see it. it. Yeah. And I mean, it's also a moment of like, it's the return of America post COVID. I mean, this is where all the, you know, people wearing masks outside in California are actually going to movies again. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, they're probably wearing their masks in there, but this is the summer where America said, we're going to have a normal summer again. Barbenheimer's. <laughs> we're gonna have a Barbenheimer's summer. Like we're gonna go sit in the movie theater for hours and hours on end, yeah, and enjoy ourselves. That's great. So it's a it's a coming back to life moment. It's a, you know, it's juicy. It's juicy. <laughs> and that. Let's end on that note. All right. See you next time, people. Bye bye.